I also see limitations in the way that uh, sometimes we have overlearned individualistic lessons in the West and, and how, how, how should I live my life? What should my character be without properly understanding that whatever character I have is formed in relation to others. Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Rob Lafleur, Professor of Anthropology and History at Beloit College and teacher of the great courses, Books That Matter, The Analects of Confucius, a course that I got a lot of value out of, so it comes highly recommended. Thanks for joining. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, let's start with uh, this first question. Would you describe Confucianism as a philosophy of life? Do you think that's an apt description? Um, it's it's more than apt. I think it's the best description. And it's actually something that, that comes up in uh, one of the first lectures in my series. There's a conference every four years uh, called the World Philosophers Conference that I've been going to all the way back to the um, mid-2000s in uh, Honolulu. And it, it, during one of these conferences uh, um, a number of years ago, I was talking with a colleague about the lectures that I was about to do for the great courses at now Wondrium. Uh, I was saying, you know, I, I want to find just the right way to explain what Confucianism is about to the audience in, in a larger sense. And, um, and, and a funny thing, we both started thinking, we were on this bus from this event and, and coming back on the bus, just as the bus uh, was about to unload, we both spurted out at the same time. It's about getting good at life. And, and, and so getting good at life is to me, what Confucianism broadly speaking, but also the analects themselves, the, the, the text the, uh, which we can get into, you know, in in a, in a minute. But the text of the of Confucius's Analects are about about what what another colleague just just on Friday said, uh, an anthropologist said. I've been talking to my students about humaning, <laughs> and again, I kept thinking of Confucius um, uh, about the idea that, that it, it's it's we have all these social relations, we have our own complex emotions. And getting good at those is precisely what it's about. Very good. Yeah, the way I think of that from the Stoicism angle is, well, Stoicism is philosophy as a way of life because it has an account of what the good life is. It says this is what it looks like to live well. And then it also has a practical aspect. Like These are the practices, exercises, and this is what it looks like concretely. And those two aspects make it uh, fit philosophy of life, as it were. Yeah, no, and, and that 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 I, I I can see that clearly, and that's one of the things that I find both parallels to and contrasts with with Confucianism, uh, broadly speaking. And so the kind of specific vision of what a good life is 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 harder to get at through the analects, the Confucius mm -hmm. analects. Or even more broadly speaking, through through Confucianism, um, but but I like to also describe it sometimes as being all in with life, not just phoning it in, or at the same time, not just parceling out your day as here's my work day where I have to be on. Now I'm off. There's a sense of being all in that your relationships are around the clock, and, and that, that that it matters. To be to be on, not not in a pressure packed sense, but in a sense of being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what is needed in the situation. Confucianism uh, um, is is very much a situational. That, that you 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 are in your situation. You do your best in that situation, and those situations over time build into a life. But there's less of a picture of this, here is the good life. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It does seem like, and I, I know we'll get into this, mm -hmm. but one of both an area of significant 
overlap and also some difference is the focus on presence. So in Stoicism, you have a large emphasis on paying attention and in particular, paying attention to the impressions that you're given from the world and judging them appropriately, managing them well. And that has this idea of presence, almost a kind of mindfulness, even a kind of stoic Mm -hmm. mindfulness, which I think one can accurately say, although it takes on perhaps a somewhat different flavor, one also sees in Confucianism, right? Mm -hmm. There's a famous line, you know, if I was not present at the sacrifices or at the ritual, it's as if it did not happen. Um, And I think Stoics can agree with that as well. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's it's again that that idea of, uh, and we get into the the importance of ritual in all of this maybe a little later, but but, but the idea of of being there, I, I mean, in, in many ways, um, I, I'm drawn to a passage. I'm looking at it right now, but um, that can be translated as the master said, if people can recite all of the three hundred songs, and this is. This is from the, the, the Book of Songs, very, very um, important text to Confucius and in early uh, Chinese thought. But if, if, a, if people can recite all of the 300 songs, and yet when given official responsibility, fail to perform effectively, or when sent to distant quarters, are unable to act on their own, their own initiative, then even though they have mastered so many of them, what good are they? You know, what good are they to them is what it, how it comes out. But but I would even expand that in my own translation to what good are they to the broader society? In other words, you've studied, you've studied, you've studied, you've memorized. And yet, if you're unable to perform in the situation, what's the use? And so there's the parallel being drawn here to, yes, again, it's, it's all important in the Confucian tradition to study. But if that's all that it's leading you to is a kind of rote memorization, you've accomplished nothing. You have right, to be right. good at life. But, but according to the Confucians, the study is part of that. Moving from from what what I what, what my teacher actually Paul Ricoeur at Chicago uh, um, called from text to action. Moving from text to action is the whole point of getting good at life in the Confucian tradition. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Well, thinking about text, then what is the role of the Analects for Confucians? How should we situate it when we're when we're approaching it? Well, well, the first tricky thing that is that for 2,000 years, people have kind of assumed the text we more or less have today, the about 500 entries, as the solid, unmoving text that then get, has been used in curricula in China and now beyond for 2,000 years. And what we hadn't realized until the just explosion of archaeological um, findings in the last 50 years or so, 50, 60, 70 years or so, is um, that the Analects took about 500 years to come into the form that the, where they are today. And so one of the mm-hmm. things to think of it as is, number one, and, and this is shocking to people who um, aren't familiar with it, is Confucius did not write one word of it. Um, Confucius's voice is in it in the form of, it, it comes across as uh, two Chinese characters, the master said, or the old Confucius said, but, but master, the master said, and then out it comes as a quotation but at the same time, it was the, every bit of the Analects, every one of the entries was put together over the course of two or 300 years, and then the parts were moved around. And we know this through archaeology now, through, through robbers cr- cracking into um, a tomb and trying to steal, a, not the Analects, um, a, a jade coat of some kind, and then the Analects trail their way out with them, the bamboo. And, and, and so all of these different things, we, we've come to know by piecing these together over the last decades, 
that it took it took a long time for it to come into final form. But the challenge is the text is hard to read. I, I don't mean that necessarily in a kind of uh, grammatical sense. It's not particularly hard to read in terms of like the complexities of early Chinese grammar. But the, the, the challenge is that the text is a jumble. And, um, and, and especially Westerners have a, a very difficult time with this. But it, it's, it's even challenging to uh, Chinese readers. All I have to do is ask my students from China, and they say the same thing, that, that they just can't make heads or tails of it unless they're just asked to memorize certain things by their teachers. Um, and the reason for that uh, is, is that, that the, the approach to reading the, to, to reading the Analects, if we read it from the perspective of, say, a continuous argument, I, I like to use the example of Kant's critique of pure reason. If, we, if we're reading it along, like we're looking for definitions, and then we move on from the definition to some examples, et cetera, et cetera, we're not going to find it. It's, it's an absolute chaos. Uh, um, and in right. um, the way that this was, I, I explained this in the lectures is, um, is that I was telling a friend this in, um, in, in Greece, we were actually at a conference in Greece and she, and she's from China. She said, Oh, it, on the one hand, it's so wonderful. You're going to be explaining this to Western readers. And, and so that was nice. The second thing she said is that I don't know how you're going to do it because the, the intellect is such a jumble it's like 500 fortune cookies falling from the sky and then just put together into chapter form. And that is a very apt description of what the reader faces. And, um, and, and, and so I've had colleagues who've said, who've said, I just, I always get to, to uh, um, the second or third book and I'm completely confused and I put it down and then I pick it up after another five years and the same thing happens. And it's because and, and through no fault of their own, they're reading it wrong. <laughs> and and how, how would anyone know? Because, um, because we're, we're used to, even in China, readers today are used to having an argument and following an argument. Mm -hmm. And so well, the way to, to, to kind of wrap this up is that I had a teacher uh, the, the amazing Greek scholar, scholar of, 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 of um, ancient Greek, David Green at the University of Chicago. And, um, and he, uh, he translated Herodotus and um, many of the plays of Aeschylus, Sophocles, and the like. And, but one of the things he said in commenting on Shakespeare, of all things, is he said, if you're reading the plays like a scholar, you are misreading the plays. You have to imagine the stage. At every every moment that you are reading, say Richard II, you have to envision the stage. What is happening? Who is on there? E even the background. And I finally, years and years later, that comment resonated for me in trying to explain the analects. You have to envision a teaching experience. You have to envision the semester. Let's say or even an entire education. Um, because what comes up is something about, about uh, ethics, for example, as we'll get into. Something about ethics will come up. And then, and then it will be discussed in one context and then dropped and moving on to other things. And then it'll come up again. Something, and it'll come up again later. And then later, and it, it's punctuated like a semester is, emphasizing certain things, but then having to get into other content. And if you envision it like the classroom, all of a sudden the book starts to make sense. And at the end, it's like the end of a good semester where it's like, okay, I've learned a lot. That's how the book works. So of course it's, it's difficult to choose and parse through, but if you were to select several mm -hmm. passages to help people make sense of the work, Give them a sense of of that classroom, if you will. What what, sort of, what comes to mind? As as um, predictable as it might sound, one one <laughs> entry <laughs> one in chapter one, and of course this makes sense, even given what I've just said here. It makes sense in a way, given that the book did take a while 
to be formed. And it was formed over time to the extent that I've often said that the first chapter, and there are 16 entries in the first chapter, they're called Zhuan in Chinese. And so that can be translated as book, chapter. I mean, there, there's any number of translations, but I'll go with chapter for our conversation. Um, it was put there. I, I mean, these are authorial choices, not happenstance, at least in terms of the way, it seems to me, the way chapter one was framed. The rest does feel like uh, a little bit arbitrary, like those fortune cookies. But one one can be translated as um, the master uh, um, having studied, uh, uh, says, the master said, having studied and then repeatedly to apply what you've learned. Is this not a source of pleasure? But then that's continued with, and I'll get back to it, but that's continued with to have friends come from distant quarters. Is this not indeed a source of enjoyment? And then the very, so let's just stay with that for a second. And so you have these two linked ideas of you, you yourself have studied and then you've applied what you've learned. Is this not indeed a source of pleasure? Okay. Um, and maybe even more than pleasure, but, but let's, let's stay with that. And then, then immediately, it seems jarring, but then immediately to connect, to have friends come from distant quarters. And this is, a, this is repeated so often in China when people get together. I, I probably heard it, you know, 300 times in my own experience where I get together with someone from China and they repeat that phrase, to have friends come from distant quarters. But I think what, what the Analects is getting at here is something Again, maybe a little bit more nerdy, <laughs> if you will. And the idea that to have friends come from distant quarters for discussion, for kind of being all in and talking about how do we get better at this life thing, okay? I'm extending the idea here, but at the same time, I see a real linkage in all these passages. And that I think that, that traditionally it's read as three different thoughts, and I'm about to get to the third because it's very, very different. But but I see a linkage between the I on my own have studied and then now come the friends. <laughs> and I don't see them as just getting together for trail mix and watching the game. I, I think I, I see something more of, of, of a kind of engaged discussion about this larger, we're all all in this larger, uh, how do we how do we get better at this life thing? Okay, and then so I see a linkage is what I'm saying, and then finally the the almost jarring third part of the first um, entry one one is to go unacknowledged by others, without harboring frustration. Is this not indeed the mark of an exemplary person? And this so in, in some ways it's we get together. I know I study on my own. We get together and we talk about ideas, and then. To not to be overly frustrated by the fact that I'm not acknowledged, that I'm making only a small dent in the world. Is this not indeed, you know, uh, uh, the mark of an exemplary person? I see a deep linkage between all of these. And maybe it's because, and I, I, I joke as I say this, but maybe this because is because I teach at a small liberal arts college. And, you know, I, I, I joke often that, you know, I, being an unknown professor at an obscure liberal arts college, this actually has its benefits. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> all of these different things, you can go study Chinese mountains and then Confucius. And again, I'm joking, but, but the idea in a larger sense is make your place in the world and... If fame comes, fine, but, but that's not the point of it all. And so I see a real linkage, again, in 1-1. One, one. But I want to add just one more, and that's my favorite analect, because I feel, number one, that it's been misread quite badly uh, um, over the years. But, but here, here is how it's tr maybe traditionally been translated. The master said, governing with excellence... Uh, and, and, and again, well, I'll get back to that. But governing with excellence duh, is the, uh, can be compared to being the North Star. 
The North Star dwells in its place firmly, and the multitude of stars encircle it. What I see, what, what, what most people see is one exemplary person firmly in place, and then everything else moves around the one exemplary person. I don't see it that way. I see exemplarity, um, you know, being an exemplar, which again connects very closely with the Greeks, but being an exemplar as there are multitudes, multitudinous stars of, of influence, each of which have their own kind of gravitational pull, our, our influence in life over a series of other people. And, and this can vary. We can also be influenced. But, but the idea is that there are many of these in place. I, I think, I, I think what, what, what has been misread in the translations, which is why I'm doing my own this year, is, is that I, I think the, it, it's, it's misread as there's one person. And I right, think right. what Confucius is getting at is that we need this influence in many places. And that's the connection to being the unknown person who may be of influence in a local area. But if we have many, many of those, we're a better society. Hmm. Right, right. So one, one, and two, one are the are, are my choices. <laughs> Very good. If I had to Excellent choose picks. just two, yes. Excellent. Well, um, would you say that Confucianism is properly understood as a virtue ethics? And to say a little bit more about what I mean um, for listeners is that Stoicism, it's an account of how to live. And one way of answering that question, how should you live, is live according to nature. That means be the kind of person who lives well. And instead of taking these other frames that many uh, might be tempted to take for different ethical reasons or different ethical systems, like trying to maximize a certain outcome or following certain rules, the focus for Stoics and indeed for many of the Greek philosophers was being a specific kind of person. You could even say being an exemplar. And usually that meant fulfilling your life as a human being, being an excellent human being. Um, do you think that's a useful way to think about Confucianism as well? Or do, does, do complications, of course, I imagine some complications arise, but it's a good first pass. Do you think that's a good way to think about Confucianism as well? I do, I do. Uh, I, there are, of course, um, um, some differences, and and the the kind of stereotypical critique, which uh, I must admit that I fell into in college and for part of graduate school before I reread Confucius and really kind of started to see the larger issue is, issues behind it, um, was that it's 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 a bunch of kind of frozen rules. Um, and, and that's how it's been mocked throughout Chinese history by mm -hmm. a, 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 another group called the Taoists who specifically aim to live in accordance with nature. Um, and, and again, it's a very specific connection where, 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 where in, in that way of thinking, which, which I have always found appealing, I must admit. Um, uh, um, but the thing is, it, it, it is that if you look at, at the Analects in the larger sense that I, I came to see it, and what brought me to that, and, and I'm not alone, ma many people who do what I do um, were encouraged to look at the Analects in a different way by a book by Herbert Fingeret is, is the author, and it's, it's uh, um, called Confucius the secular as sacred. And, and, and the thing is, is that Fingeret's book really gets back to some of the core ideas of, uh, of Confucianism as life is lived. And he starts with the handshake, which in, 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 in China, you know, is more often a bow and certainly in Japan is a bow. But, um, but, but I like to get at it through the core principle of um, Ren, it's called. And um, this is a Chinese character. It's the most dominant kind of philosophical I framing idea in the Analects. And, and, and it's, it's kind of the peak, the peak goal is to be Ren. The Chinese character is very simple. It's a person next to the number two. 
Now, I'm not saying that's the etymology. The etymology is more complex, to, but I'll just it, it just say that for any sinological China studies listeners out there. <laughs> but but the thing is, it is is that it, it's a useful way to think of it as a person always in the social realm, the two. You know, this is kind of a way of a kind of mnemonic almost for thinking about the relationality of human beings. But what, and so, so this, this, this very key character is a real problem for translators and one that I've struggled with myself because, um, because of the, the, the challenge built in to translating it smoothly in an English text while bringing out all the potential of its meaning. So it's often translated as humanity or humaneness, sometimes as benevolence, often as benevolence, I should say. And even in a 1930s translation by a Harvard professor trying to get out everything in its potential called, and again, this is 1930s language, but man being at his best. The problem is when you translate in English a a phrase that is used 400 times in the Analects as something that's seven or eight characters, eight, eight word, English words long, it gets to be pretty clunky. Um, and so benevolence sort of works, but it's much more than that. And so I like to think of it, and this is where I get into the ethical realm, is a virtue ethics, as you're saying, is I tra I like to translate, if I could translate it precisely the way I want, I would want to call it social, moral, ethical virtuosity. You know, bring all those together, the social relations, uh, morality, uh, ethics, and, and mo morality in the larger sense of caring about the larger society. Um, but also ethical virtuosity. And I think of it in, in, in the framework of from the individual to the larger social realm of like a cellist like Yo-Yo Ma um, or a violinist, but I, I'm using Yo-Yo Ma as my example, is the, the, the great cellist. And we could just listen to the solo and, and, and be moved and changed. And yet that solo with an orchestra where the, the, the feedback is going back and forth where Yo-Yo Ma is still the, it gets back to, 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 to Analects 2-1, you know, this idea of the, the, the person of influence, you know, and all the way back to, um, to, to the, you know, the, 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 the cellist kind of performing with and above the orchestra. That's mm -hmm. life. That's what we're getting at. And, um, and so, so always keeping that larger, sense of what virtuosity is not just virtuosity as a solo realm it's virtuosity that influences others and you know encourages others to be at their best as well um now the problem as much as and, and as i'm translating right now i want to use that phrase and bring out the virtuosity in every one of those 400 uh passages and yet <laughs> it gets pretty clunky if you do. So it is a bit clunky. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, so um, I, I think one distinct feature of, of Confucianism is this relational aspect mm -hmm. and seeing yourself not just as an individual who needs to live virtuously and who needs to be skilled, but I think really in a, in a, a fundamental way you note how you're not merely just an individual and atomized unit and not even in the sense that of course you're connected to others but really in the deep sense of your identity i think is what, what many want to say is you can't make sense of this idea of an atomized unit who needs to live virtuously but instead you really need to think of yourself as uh belonging being dependent on caring for others uh, in a way that I think you almost can't be extricated from. So I wonder if you, I wonder if you could speak, speak to that some as well. Yeah. No, this, this idea of being all in is partly a decision, you know, that it, a, a person can make actively that, that I will be aware of these relationships and I will be at my best 
when I'm in them. This does not mean that we can't rest. In other words, sure. in other words that, that is built in as well, uh, of course. Um, but but there is a, a, a kind of, a, and I don't know where I heard this, and it's not in the Analects, but but the uh, the idea that uh, um, the downside in selling Confucianism sometimes was that work live live long, work hard, and death is a good rest. That's not a great message <laughs> if you're trying to sell sell the idea. But but if you read the Analects and you see you see a kind of rhythm of life where there is recharging, but it means when you're on, you're on. I, I remember a, a story my wife tells me that for one of her PhD advisors, where 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 he was saying to his students that you don't have to be on all the time, but when you're when you're in the classroom or you're giving a lecture, you need to be on. And I think that's what Confucius would say of relations in life. Is is on doesn't mean you know bursting with energy. Sometimes it means just listening carefully. Uh, um, I, I feel even in a recent, um, I think it was just last week, David Brooks, the New York Times, was was on to this kind of message of being a good relational person. You know, I um, yeah. just had a piece in the New York Times on this, and 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 you know means listening more means so being on doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're always teaching. Um, it means that you are paying attention to the need what the what the relationship needs right now, um, and and so I I would say that that the the, the biggest uh, challenge for for uh, the Confucian tradition is this idea of. And this isn't specifically what you were asking, but I but I think it needs to come up. Is I, I think what what is left hanging in some ways with the analects is how do we recharge? How can we be on consistently and well for the benefit of ourselves and others, um, and have the energy to do so? I, I'm not sure that's addressed all that well in the analects. To to, to be fair. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, how do you use leisure well? How do you right. rest rest well? I, I have spoken with uh, you know, a number of people who think, well, uh, a Chinese people who think it's high status to almost be sickly to communicate that you've worked so hard, right, in your position. Uh, and you have this this image of almost like a sickly <laughs> bureaucrat, right? I'm trying to cover my laughter because it's so it's so true. It, 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 I've heard, of course, all the same stories and and seen the images over over you know over the years through the centuries. You know, yes, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure yeah, that yeah, sells well <laughs> as 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 a larger way of living, <laughs> and, and and that gets back to that that old kind of saying that. Uh, it, it was it was specifically used as kind of an argument um, from the Taoists and the Buddhists against the uh, Confucians that that, that um, you know death is a good rest you know, you know may appeal to a few people but 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 it, it's it's not a it's not a universalist message that's for sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Another possible connection to Stoicism here when thinking about relations is the Stoics they had at least the later Roman Stoics had this idea of roles and thinking about your role as a human being and part being a virtuous person and fulfilling that general role, but also thinking about what your own capabilities were, thinking about uh, the roles that you occupy as a matter of your society, you know, like being a good citizen, being a good neighbor. And then also thinking, of course, about these unchosen roles, like being a good family member, a good brother, uh, what have you. And they had a hierarchy where you have, of course, that general role, being a good human, comes at first. And then you think about, okay, well, what, what about these other other roles I as an individual occupy and what the right path is, as it were. There are no easy rules here, but what the right path is, is guided by your capabilities, your circumstance, and the relationships you happen happen to find yourselves in, which, as I read the Analyx the very first time, struck me as a as a potential, like, very large, very large overlap in de- with Confucian, Confucian approach. Yes. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and I'll, I'll put a plug in for my good friend and uh, mentor and 
I will say it right now, editor <laughs> for a major <laughs> translation I've done, um, Roger Ames, a uh, University of Hawaii professor and um, now retired now at, at um, Beijing University, what they call Peking University uh, um, in, in Beijing. Uh, um, and uh, Roger Ames has a book and then a second follow-up book on specifically titled Confucian Role Ethics. And so I, I, you know, anyone who's interested in going deeper into this question, uh, um, I encourage looking into Roger Ames's work here. Mm. Um, but, but one of uh, my favorite analects, and, and it, it's also the favorite of my students uh, who find the Chinese uh, the easiest to read, because Con Confucius is asked, you know, how do we keep society in order? And he answers with just um, eight Chinese characters. Well, four Chinese characters, but each one repeated. Um, and it, it, he, he says, ruler, ruler, minister, minister, father, father, son, son. Or, or it can be read as, you know, father, mother, and children, children. But in other words, keep, keep to your roles. Be aware of them. Be aware of them, but also, but, but also kind of work on them. And that's where I want to bring up something that I call um, um, the forgotten kind of the forgotten Chinese philosophical principle. Um, I've written a lot about this in my life. It, it goes all the way back to my doctoral dissertation, but it's 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 um, the Chinese character Jin. It, it, um, but at the same time, it, it can be translated as remonstrance. And the most important part of understanding roles is to understand where you are in, in, in the Chinese sense, you are always in a hierarchical situation. This is something that's sometimes harder for Westerners to, to handle, although I've never had a problem with my French and German students and, and others from Europe, but I'm thinking of countries I've spent a lot of time in. Um, Americans can have a very large problem with this often, though. Um, it, it is, is that from to, to understand what Confucius is getting at, you, you have to understand that it, it's it, for every situation you are in a hierarchical situation. This does not mean better, worse, or much more power, lesser power. It's not that. And, and the way I like to explain this is when a friend, this friend of mine, we went to University of Chicago together. We were friends there. He was in the history department. I was in this uh, uh, um, uh, program called the Committee on Social Thought. And um, every time we get together, it's almost like a kind of uh, um, social thumb wrestling going on. And we're fighting to be the inferior in the dyad, in the social, you know, the social network. And, and so he'll say things like, oh, you were in the more prestigious program. Then I'll say, I'll say, and then, which is not true. Okay. But, but then, then I will say, I, I will say, but you've published more than I have. And then we'll go back and forth. And it's very friendly, of course, but it's this back and forth that um, ironically, American business people, at least early on when they started to go to East Asia, this would start to happen. And the American would happily accept the superior position in this little right. haggling going on. And of course, that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. You're, you're supposed to at least fight for it, like a like you're fighting for the check, you know, uh, in a restaurant. And, um, and, and but but the idea is that that if you are the junior in any kind of particular social diet, you're the child, and you're 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 talking to your parents. There is the duty, and it's the duty of remonstrance. You must correct the senior. And the reason this is the forgotten principle, as I call it, in um, East Asian thought is because it's really hard to do. It's, it, 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 you know, in other words, giving the person who is in, in, in whatever way in charge um, criticism is difficult to do. But what but, but Confucius and then later Confucians even more so kept stressing was this is absolutely necessary or the, or the social kind of vitality will die. And, and the assumption built in, and I'll just stop here, but, but the assumption built in is that the senior, I'll just call it the senior here, but the senior person in the dyad is on um, the social dyad is, does know better. 
In other words, every and, and it's a reminder of the foundations. It, it's more of father or boss or whatever. Remember what you've learned. I'm here to remind you so we don't go astray as a family or as a you know state or as a nation. I'm reminding you of what we both know. Um, and, 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 and let's not go astray. Let's, let's fix this together. And so this, this duty of remonstrance is important at all levels of society. And it's hard to do. It sometimes doesn't go well. There are historical examples of awful stuff. And, um, and, and yet this, this is the, the built-in correction in the assumption of roles always are hierarchical. Right, right. Yeah, I do. I does seem like in many Western cultures, particularly in the States, hierarchy is always present, but it's hidden and that's important to <laughs> right, to I always laugh come up with we... particular stories. Right, right. Uh, like about, exactly. Yeah, you know, like all the employees in the company are on, are on the same footing, of course, you know, and they maybe dress in more casual ways show up to meetings and be slightly late and it's no big problem. But of course, as soon as a big problem occurs, then that's when, you know, yeah. you know, you yeah. see who, ha who has the decision-making power and so on. No, I, I, I actually think this is something that Americans should explore much more deeply than they have. I always, I always see it at even little colleges like mine when like we just had an inauguration of our, of our president and, and it was a wonderful event last uh, Friday. But when we line up in our robes, it's always, we're at least supposed to be in the, the order in which we were hired and, and our seniority and all those things. And, and, and even the robes and the, the, all that, 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 that goes back to a an assumption of hierarchy, and so you know, just call me Rob or just call me you know Julie. Maybe the way we act in the classroom, but then all of a sudden there are these situations, this situational hierarchy that it, where it pops up again. I think Americans should be more attuned to this. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's almost like there's. I don't know if you want, if you want to speculate on this much further, but some positive upsides of this organization is that social relations may be more fluid. Like there's more uncertainty around who's at the top. And there's maybe the assumption people can move around a little bit more. Um, and then one cost is I think in the, many people are computing where exactly do I stand? Whereas if you were in a more hierarchical situation, you, you would know where you stand, you would know what you're expected to do and you would know what to do if, if you were, I uh, wanted to, to rise as it were. Yeah, no, but, but the way it was explained by a um, northern Song dynasty Confucian, um, this is the, the 11th century, um, and that's that's the, where I started in my Chinese studies is, is with 11th century scholars. Um, but, um, but the way one of those scholars back then explained it is it's almost as though speaking to an American 10 centuries later. It, it's really funny. But, but, but said, it's not a matter of you know, the top is unmoving and all of the, you know, in, in the sense of, you know, absolute authority. That's not what, 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 what hierarchy is. What hierarchy is, is like the notes on a scale. All the notes are being played and there's beautiful harmony that comes from it. And so the idea, I, I think Americans and people who at least aren't, I mean, there are examples of rigid hierarchy in East Asia. I, I mean, I mean, I'd be lying. I'm an anthropologist. Sure, sure. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. But at the same time, when it works, the idea is not absolute authority because that won't work is, is, is the idea. But you're playing the notes on a scale, almost like a piano. Um, mm. um, if this, this key happens to be here, but it's because it's playing an important note. And then on and on and on. It doesn't even mean that, that the, the well, this doesn't work with the piano metaphor, but that the, the actual people can't move. Okay, on the scale. But that note has to be played. Okay, and this other note has to be played. And together they create a, an amazing melody. Um, that's, that's closer to the ideal of, of what the roles need to be. Mm-hmm. Do you think one uh, critique one could make of 
many people in modern society is that they have lost that relational aspect of themselves that is more filial, more family oriented, and maybe even when it comes to how we treat our ancestors today. Do you think like there's a modern Confucian take on thinking about, you know, how should we better respect ancestors, better respect the family than many than many do in the more liberal, uh, more individualistic West? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Big question, of course. Yeah, no, it, it is. And, 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 you know, I, I'm a Westerner. I, I, I like, you know, being a Westerner. That, that this is one of the things that goes back all the way to my early studies. I remember a, a friend of mine who was so frustrated. We were both in Taiwan and he was so frustrated that he wasn't like born Chinese. So he would get the jokes better and all these things. And, and I always thought of, no, there's a long Western tradition of studying other societies, at least back to Herodotus. Okay, I mean, I mean, I just that's kind of was my framework. Is you know, Herodotus was was kind of where I started with 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 all this, and and so I see a long Western tradition, a long Western ideal of studying other societies, other languages. You know, the the the, the importance is to be good at those languages. You can't just you know just 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 play with it. Um. So so I mean, there's a high high um, expectation, but, but that th- there is a long tradition of this and that there are some advantages in doing that. Having said that, I also see limitations in the way that uh, sometimes we have overlearned individualistic lessons in the West and, and how, how, how should I live my life? What should my character be without properly understanding that our whatever character I have is formed in relation to others. So I think sometimes in our conversation, even in our everyday life, certainly in our kind of everyday language, we often speak in a kind of individualistic idiom to the point where even in my translation of Confucius, the most basic translational decision I've made is to assume the relational in any passage, uh, often translated as, here's how to be this kind of a good person. I assume the social until the language itself forces me to say, okay, this is really about an individual. And so just this assuming of the plural, this assuming of the relational in the Analects, which is there, I I believe it is, is firmly there and it's been mistranslated often, is is almost a a, a kind of, of of signal a connection to where I think we should um, be rethinking some of our, our 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 ways of what it is to have a good life in everyday modern society. This is what I teach. I teach a course I call the Life Syllabus with Confucius and Rousseau, where where, where we're really thinking of what kind of people do we want to be, but in relation to others. And Confucius and Rousseau, by the way, make a, a really interesting set of parallels, but, but that's its own thing. But, but the, the, the thing is, just to, to get specifically to your question, is, you know, I had the, the luxury of knowing all four of my grandparents for most of my first 20 years, and even knowing my great-grandmothers quite well for most of those 20 years. And, and, and so, so I, I've had the privilege, just by chance, of you know, at least having several generations of influence uh, there. And I talk to students and sometimes that's there, but often we're seeing that, that, that there's just, just more the nuclear family. And, um, and, and I think that there are, are, are issues in terms of experience there. Now, now how, how is that solved? There's complex issues at the heart of smaller families and all those things that, 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 that create a challenge. But I do think that, that, that we could use a kind of societal reset if there were a way mm-hmm. of, of having a better sense of time uh, and of, of the many decades of influence. Um, and I'll just say uh, just, just one quick thing is, ironically, my students are probably more adept at understanding uh, the, the world of 40 or 50 years earlier even than I was, and I thought I was pretty good at it, um, because uh, and it's it's because of music. 
It's because of the, the, the power of 1960s and 70s music to kind of bring them back. And, and I've had students with, with more of a connection than, say, I, born in the, you know, the, you know Eisenhower administration, had of the world of the 20s or 30s. And so there, there's, there's a little bit, there, there are ways we could do it. There are ways we could do it, but but um, but I mean, I think that this 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 focus on relationality could be healthy for all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I think one thing that I've always thought was interesting are some of the social norms around grieving practices and yeah. reading biographies about some, you know, you maybe hear about some exceptionally promising political advisor who's rising up. And some ranks moving from regional to a larger scale. And then all of a sudden he interrupts his career because he's going to spend three years grieving yeah. for his parents. And you think on one hand, that is just so inefficient, right? Like, okay, how could you do that? But on the other hand, it's a, like a beautiful expression of yeah. how much these people matter and actually paying, uh, you know, showing that in your actions in some way. It, it, it actually comes up in the Analects where one of the kind of more ornery students, um, Zolu is his name, and, and he brings up, well, you know, just what, what, what you and I immediately would think of, which is the, you know, the inefficiency of it, that, that you, 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 a parent dies and you mourn for three years. What it is, the, the mourning is quite intense for the first month or so. And then it becomes just this idea of, of, of being there, uh, continuing in the ways an influence of your parents, being aware, being, being in the moment with that, but also a chance to recharge. And so, so I, I've actually done a little study. I've only given it as a, as a conference presentation up to, up to now, but I plan to write as an article about this, this idea of a career as being interrupted by these sabbaticals of mourning where, where there's both the emphasis on the um on paying attention being you know present for for the family around the deceased family member but also a chance it's it's actually 27 months but but we make it's called the three years mourning but to to recharge a little bit to do some reading after a life of administration up till then, and one you'll pick up with again. And so, so there's a kind of almost like sabbatical process at work here. And, and it continued throughout Chinese history pretty consistently, the, the three years mourning. And, and Confucius puts a great emphasis on it. And to your precise point, I sometimes think that it's more than just the direct Morning. Uh, in other words, that's important. Don't do not get me wrong. Of course it is, sure, sure. And, and that's that's central to Confucius. But I also think it is a kind of recharge. You know, I've talked about there aren't places in the Analects with recharge specifically. Well, this is one where at least it, it can happen. Getting yeah, back yeah. to basics, getting back to family relationships after a busy administrative life, getting back to those things, having time to read and reflect. And so maybe there is a little potential of recharge in that. How do we do this in America, in, in our own society? I talk to students all the time. I lost my mother when I was very young, and I'm painfully aware of how that can shape a life as well. And I often talk to students who are going through mourning of one kind or another, and I just tell them one thing. And I say, you know, be in the moment. Do not just rush through like I have to rush through this for others. Um, and maybe this is ironic, but, but, but you know, recharge. And again, you know, this idea that, that in time you come to see the loss in a larger sense where you can even smile you know, about happy memories. This is important. And um, if we rush, this, this maybe sums up everything. If we rush, we will miss those things. That we have to take the time to be present in the moments and with the social situation we're in, even the loss and the whole network of things can come into place. But if we rush, 
it's not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one final question I want to ask is, are there other practices? We've mentioned a few, but that's a, a big thing in the Stoics is they have different practices or techniques for becoming more Stoics. But what sorts of techniques would you want to, techniques or rituals would you want to mention for uh, someone might think of as things to do in order to become more Confucian? Yeah. Well, my glib answer is still uh, um, serious, but my glib answer is bow more. Um, You know, I I have, you know, again, just having come back from Japan, I'm just struck by how much bowing there is at all points. And, and, and what is that really? It's not the actual bowing. It, it's, it's, the, it's, again, the being in the situation where I may be just asking for a newspaper, but I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the relationship with the person who's selling me the newspaper. And I, that's all that matters in this one micro moment. And then, and then I, I'm always struck like the bus going to Narita Airport and everyone puts the bags on and then the entire staff that was putting the bags on all bows to the bus as it goes. And it even gets to the extreme case of a, a story I tell in the lectures, um, but of where the ATM, it's three in the morning, I'm in Tokyo and I'm getting my yen from the ATM and the machine image bows to me. And here it is 3 a.m. and I'm bowing back to a machine. And so, but but it's built in. There's a journalist who recently wrote a book about Confucianism that, that said, you know, if you're bowing on the phone while you're on the phone, you know you've internalized these things. And so even though it's a glib kind of joking answer, bow more, it, 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 there's something to it. Not literally, it won't work in American society. You know, the, uh, and, and I'm not sure that it transfers to shake hands more. But, 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 but the idea is, it, 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 is that be in the moment of your role. You know, and, and that's, where, that's why the glib answer of bowing is actually a serious answer because in the East Asian set, setting, and Korea is this way as well, uh, is, is that the bowing is a reflection of the being in the moment. That if you're looking at your phone and checking something and also, you know, getting your newspaper, as I often see standing in lines, you know, and, and things like this, uh, although nobody gets newspapers anymore, uh, but you do in Japan. Um, but the thing is, is that, that be in that social moment. Don't be multitasking. You know, and, 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 and again, so, so bowing is a reflection of that in East Asian society. Can we do it here? I think we can. And, and, and we, I think if we really think about it, we know people who are good at this, who are in the moment. And then we also know what it looks like not to be in the moment. So, I, so, so that that that's that that's that's what I mean by being all in. It doesn't mean being consumed with energy all the time. It means being in that relational moment at all times. In East Asia, we're bowing while we're doing while we're in those moments. But here, maybe we can we can set ourselves the task of of and maybe I don't I don't want to think of it as a task. Maybe we set ourselves the you know the the kind of life goal of being better at these things. Very good. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add or places where you'd like to point listeners to learn more? Definitely. I, 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 as I said, um, there, there are many translations of Confucius. By the way, if it sounded like I was criticizing them, that, that, that's not, not what I mean. Um, I would say th- th- just pick up any good translation, and they're all good, and just start. But also getting back to this, this key idea that if you're going to read the Analects, picture it as a classroom. If you're reading for definitions, you're not going to find them. It's going to come up the way that a teacher brings up key issues in a great class. Okay, And of, of course, I, I would be lying if I said that I didn't think my lectures on Wondrium wouldn't be somewhat helpful. But, but, but again, dive in wherever you want. Herbert Fingeret's book, the Confucius, the Secular is Sacred, also a very good place. Uh, um, so, so, uh, but, but 
if you're getting frustrated, that's the last thing I would say. If you're getting frustrated or you're shouting out, that's a contradiction, that's a contradiction, you're doing it wrong. And I mean that respectfully and with care because that is not the pacing. In other words, you almost have to get into the social relational pacing as you learn about these things because because contradiction is built in, um, in, in profound ways because it's situational. And I could go on for another hour about the situational nature of things, but but there are you 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 one will see it as soon as one starts reading. Excellent. Well, yep. thanks so much. Yep. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Stoa Conversations. If you found this conversation useful, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to practice Stoicism with Michael and I, as well as others walking the Stoic path, we are running our three-week course on Stoicism Applied. It'll be live with a forum, interactive calls, that I think will be an excellent way for a group of people to become more Stoic together. So do check that out at stoameditation.com course. And if that's not to your fancy, you can find links to the Stoa app as well as the Stoa letter, our newsletter on Stoic theory and practice at stoameditation.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.